I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, The Biblical Principles Governing the Eyes. This is Lesson 15. We've talked about this word a lot. The word is temptation. Uh, but really, what is temptation, and how does it work, and how do we understand it so we can not be a victim of it? Uh, the Bible says the process of sinning, and sinning is a process. It's not an event. Sin is the culmination event of the process. So if I can understand the process, I can recognize where I am and by the grace of God stop it before it becomes sin. So uh, the Bible says the process of sinning begins when we are drawn away by our lusts. How do our lusts know what to draw us to? How do lust know what to lust after? Well, in this video series, the answer has been the same. What we see. That's where lust has to begin. It begins with what we see. The lust of the eyes precedes the lust of the flesh. And so, what my eyes desire to see opens the door to what my flesh wants to have, and then as I work through that process, I will eventually make a decision, and that decision will cause an, a, an action, and that action is sin. But let's, let's look at it from Scripture here. Our, sin, our sinful natures are awakened and activated by the sinful things that we allow us, our eyes to look at. We find this instruction in James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, meaning... You're in a situation that could be a temptation, but this word here in temptation is the test. So I'm in a situation where that could become a problem. So I'm being tested. It's a test for me to see and a test for God to see what my reaction is going to be because the test reveals what's in my heart. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. That means you, by the grace of God, successfully avoid giving in to temptation. So having the be, having the thought go through my mind is not is not giving in. It goes through my mind. But as I said in a previous video uh, or lesson one of the the things I've heard a long time ago it's not original with me but I've used it many times an elder said to me as a young man you, uh, you to understand this you understand it this way you can't keep birds from flying in the air over your head, but you sure can keep them from building a nest in your hair. So there's a difference between a thought that comes into my mind and goes out of my mind and dwelling on that thought. You ever been in line in a bank and you're standing there waiting for your turn and you're looking around you're not even, you're just looking around. You're not looking for anything particularly, but all of a sudden this thought goes through your mind. It would be easy to rob this bank. Well, very, 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 very few of us, thankfully, would ever allow that thought to stay there. It, it's there and it goes. The fact that it comes into my mind is not the sin. It's not sin. It's the fact that that, that, that I see and a thought comes, but I, it doesn't linger. I don't let it linger. So blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried or tested, 
he shall receive the crown of life. The word here, when he has tried, means the full complement of the trials. The tri- Peter said, uh, the trial of your faith is more precious than gold and perisheth, though it be tried with fire, because of the reward of a tried and tested faith. And faith is like working out, lifting weights. If I'm lifting a, a one-pound uh, bar, I'm not going to develop much of a bicep. But if I build up that I'm, I'm curling a 50-pound bar, I probably got me a bump, a significant bump here. Okay, so how do I build strength? I have to have resistance. And temptation is our resistance. I'm not supposed to give in to it. I'm not, uh, it, it's the, the word temptation there and the, the idea of trying is, the Lord is wanting to try us for the purpose of approving us. So when my faith is tried by fire, he's not trying to trip us up, but he's trying to put us in a situation where we can exercise our faith and therefore gain in strength. Or as I said in one of the earlier lessons, uh, by creating a habit, a lifestyle, a positive spiritual stronghold of my commitment and relationship with God. So, as I get married and I go through life and my relationship with my wife grows, then you reach a place you're not even thinking about looking at someone else. You're not thinking about it. You're not thinking about it. Now, I don't know what this says about me. I think it says something positive. But in 50, almost 51 years of marriage, uh, I can honestly tell you that I've never, ever had one dream in my life where in that dream I actually had physical relations with another woman, ever. Well, what does that mean? That means that by the grace of God, that's never entered in my heart. It's never entered in my heart. Why? Because I have the wife he gave me, and that he gave me to her, and we belong to each other, and uh, that's his plan. And I... I don't want anybody else. She doesn't want anybody else. And this is the way we are. Is every day easy? No. No, our relationship can't grow without the little conflicts that come along. And sometimes, occasionally, every once in a while, there's a bigger conflict. But all of that is part of the testing and the trying of this relationship to work out that relationship. And do I love her today like I did 50 years ago? Thankfully, no. I didn't even understand what love was 50 years ago. But over that course of time, God has worked in my life and in our relationship where I, I don't want to go back to yesterday's love. I don't want to go back to last year's love because the relationship is growing, the love is growing, and the focus on her, <laughs> her, the, the, the focus has gone from this to this. I, I don't want to see all that. I don't want any part of that. But that didn't happen overnight, you see. So the tempting and the trial is not God allowing these things. He's not doing these things, but he's allowing these things for our benefit. And the reward of, of passing this test, these tests, is he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. But then he says this, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So the temptations aren't coming from God, but he allows my flesh, this world, and the adversary to 
do their agenda. It's their agenda. They're not willingly, comp- they're not knowingly or willingly court, uh, 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 cooperating with God. But he knows the world and he knows the devil and he knows my flesh. And he knows that if I am in a certain situation, that there is a likelihood of a reaction. And what am I going to do with that reaction to that situation? So God allows, gives his permission, whether they know he has or not, because they can't do it without his permission. He allows my flesh or the world or the adversary to do whatever to put me in this position where I am tested. Now, what am I going to do with that test? The first and foremost thing is I can't blame that on God. That's not God's fault. Because if there was nothing in me that would react to that, it wouldn't even be a test. As I've said earlier, I, uh, regarding alcohol, I, I'm not bragging here. I'm giving thanks and glory to God that it, it never happened. But I have no taste for alcohol. My dad smoked all of my life at home. And I, and when I was in the military, especially, I was around people every day that smoked some continuously. Well, uh, it, it, I never, I never liked the smell, never wanted it, never even tried it. Didn't want to try it. Didn't even want to touch a cigarette. Why? I, I don't know. It just, there was such, a, I love my dad, but there was such a revulsion in that lingering smell there. So someone smoking doesn't tempt me at all. But he told me how hard it was for him to quit smoking and, 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 and he wanted to quit for years. He had emphysema and smoked for 10 years. He did that to himself. He started smoking when he was a kid. He wanted to stop, but he couldn't bring himself to stop it. He said to me, Chester, I, I just like the taste. Well, obviously there was also some buzz with it, apparently. I don't know. But, that never attracted me. So I'm not in the least bit attracted to that. But you put a, you know, I'm trying to be uh, faithful with this temple of the Holy Ghost. You put a bag of, uh, of dove chocolate pieces sitting right here. <coughs> and uh, I can taste them. I don't have to open the bag. I don't have to unwrap one of the pieces. I can taste them. And it, the smoothness of it. I can feel the smoothness of it on my tongue. I can remember the taste of it. And sometimes I would eat one in a hurry, and other times I'd just put one in my mouth and let it melt over time. Well, you know, uh, I was traveling a couple of m- uh, months or so ago, and somebody gave me a, pe- a bag, and I, I didn't throw it away. It's in the cabinet at home. Is, is it sin for me to eat a piece of dove? No, but I don't want to. I want to take good care of my body, and I'd like to 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 get down to whatever weight that would be a positive weight for my long term future in God. And you, you're 73, you're long too. Yeah, I I got a lot more to do in this life, and so I I realize he made me realize I needed to take care of this body, which is not my own. So I don't have a right to eat something just because I like it, if it's going to be negative for me, or at least habitually eat it. So every once in a while, I've had a little bit of chocolate here or there. But thankfully, the resolve he put in me is enough that I don't just gorge on it. I don't just give in and just eat every bit of it. 
Well, it's only a temptation if I can identify with it, right? That's why my experiences in giving in a temptation begin to open doors where I have a greater test in that, whatever that may be, whatever that may be. But God didn't do that. I did that to myself. So verse 14 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Uh, listen to what this Greek word drawn away here means. It means to, uh, uh, according to Vines, to draw away or to lure forth. And Vines says, in, in, metaphorically in James 1.14, of being drawn away by lust, it's as hunting or fishing the game is lured from its haunt, so man's lust allures him from the safety of his self-restraint. Now, we, we are born, every human being is born with a supernatural ability to resist those things that are bad for us. But flesh, I'm talking about in here, in the soul, I'm born with the supernatural ability to resist the devil because if not, all of us would be demon-possessed. So I'm born with this supernatural ability. But flesh is of the earth, and it craves the pleasure that the earth can offer, the world can offer. And so it starts out as small things, but as I continue to let that happen, and it's a lure. It's, that's why the devil makes it look good, makes it look good, makes it sound good. And that's how he lures us into the trap. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That's that lingering. I looked, but now I'm lingering. I'm lingering to look. I'm li- my, I've got a lingering look. I'm beginning to think about it. I'm beginning to consider the possibilities. Then when lust hath conceived, lust conceives when the longing starts. And with the longing comes the planning. How can I make this happen? So the longing is conceived lust. I, I started with a look and then I, I lingered. But as I lingered, I opened the door for, for, uh, me to consider what I could gain or get out of that. What would, what, what would happen? What, what would I experience if I did that? But then, then that creates a longing for what I determined could happen in the lingering. But once I get to longering, I'm making plans for the action. And the action is the sin. Now I want you to notice them. I'm going to read one more time. And I have talked to people that don't agree with this, but I'm reading the word. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So tempted. I can be in a place that would be temptation that I'm not tempted by because of my relationship with God. But if I become become under the influence of that temptation in the trial, I don't say no. I, I go from the look, just the look, uh, without lingering, which is not the trial or testing. Now I... I, I, the second look, the second look is becomes the lingering look. 
It's the second look that starts the process here. Not the first look. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. The first look is the lingering look. That's the, 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 the second look. The, the first look doesn't, isn't the problem. It's when I am now drawn away, drawn away or, or I'm lured. I begin to be affected by what I see. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm lingering. But then, then, uh, I become tempted because lust is conceiving. When lust conceives, I'm now longing. I'm longing. And the product of conception is a birth. Conception is not birth. Conception is the longing that's planning to produce this birth. It's, it's being formed in me. The plan is being formed in me how I can accomplish this. Sometimes this whole process may only take moments, especially if I've got a habit that I'm involved in with this particular thing. This may take, may, may take moments. Sometimes this process, because it goes unchecked, it, it may take, it may take a year or two, maybe 10 years. Maybe. But the problem is, even once I get to the longing part, that's not the action. And it's the action that's sin. Now, yes, Jesus said, if I lust after a woman in my heart, I commit adultery in my heart. But let's face facts again. Being forgiven for this longing, that lusting, is a whole different thing than being forgiven for the action. Because the action is sowing the seed of that. The longing is I toy with the seed. I... The seed is the, the possibilities, the plan, and the, 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 the fellowshipping in my heart over with, with what the anticipated pleasure would be. But one more time, the sin in this context of falling into temptation, the sin is the action. Now, depending on what God considers crossing the line in the lusting that, that longing look, it's not immediate. It's not immediate. There's some place in here that, that, that it's not sin. But again, that's a different sin than the sin of fornication, which is sin against my own body. And being forgiven of that longing look is a completely different thing than the action. And that action, that action may be an action that's done in private watching some video in your room. It's an action. Action is action. Whatever that action may be. Whether it's pleasuring myself. Or planning to seek pleasure with an individual. It's an action. It's an act. When those thoughts become an act. I have sinned. I've sinned. It's become an act. So. The issue here is this. Uh, he said. He doesn't stop with the process. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You say, well, I don't die when I sin. Oh, yeah. When sin is finished, and this is talking about sin being finished and becoming habitual in my life, it produces death. What death? The original death in the history of man, the death of being separated from God. My fellowship with God is stopped. It's cut off. That is the first death. Dying naturally is not the first death. For a believer, 
the, the, the worst death is that first death that separates me from God before I ever die. What happens to me after I die is only a consequence of what, whether I'm alive or dead. And the Bible says, she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. So if I'm living in a, a life of sin, I'm living a life of death. I'm not living at all. I'm existing. And there may be periods of pleasure of the flesh, but that's not life at all. There's no life in that. So here I am. I'm, I'm living. I'm dead while I'm living. She that liveth in pleasure, the scripture says, is dead while she liveth. Dead. So when every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when his sin is finished, it severs you from your relationship with God. And if I die in that condition, I'm going to experience the second death, which is eternal death. So the natural death is not the first or the second death. The, nat- the, the, the first death is my separation from God. The second death is my permanent separation from God in hell for eternity. Natural death is only a transition. It's only, okay, time's up. You've decided which way you're going to go. Here's the result of that decision. That's all that natural death is. It's the culmination of your and my period of time in deciding whether or not we're going to serve God serve sin because again I am tempted because of my flesh my eyes and my flesh but I'm not under the the power of my eyes and flesh I'm under the power of sin I become under the power of sin the following verses clearly state the origin of the lust that draws me away from the from the Lord's word. <clears throat> Job 31, 5 says, If I have walked with vanity, and if my foot hath hasted to deceit, let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. If my step hath turned out of the way, and my heart walked after my eye, mine eyes, and if any blot that cleave to mine hands, <coughs> Then let me sow and let another eat. Yea, let my offspring be rooted out. Now, listen to what he said here in verse 7 again. If my step turned out of the way, how does my step turn out of the way? Because my heart decided to walk after the sight of my eyes. Whatever my eyes were lingering on, then my heart began to lust after. This is the origin. I let my steps turn because my eyes have turned. How often is it that we've been driving down the highway and we look at something and before we know it, our hands have steered the car in the direction we're looking in. You know, thankfully you caught yourself before you ran into somebody or ran off the road or whatever because our Our heart follows our eyes. Our heart follows our eyes. That's why we have to be careful what we're seeing. Let's consider Ecclesiastes 11 and 9. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. 
He's not endorsing that lifestyle. He's saying, okay, you choose that lifestyle, live that lifestyle. And then he says, oh, rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. That's the way you want to live. That's the way you're choosing to live. That's your lifestyle. But here's the consequences. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Does that not describe the life today? I mean, you know, uh, when did it, when did the day come that the elders did not set the direction for the community, for the culture? When did that happen? When was it that the young set the direction for the community and for the culture? Well, it is that way today. It's that way today. And here's what God says to this culture today. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. And let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. And walk in the ways of thine heart. There is a way that seemeth right unto the, to a man. But the end thereof are the ways of the death. Walk in the ways of thine heart. And in the sight of thine eyes. What looks right to you and what feels right to you. What your heart says is right. You just do that. But know this. In every way that's contradicted and violated the eternal word of God. But know thou. That for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. What a warning. Now, the problem is, would this culture today hear that? No, no. This culture today is geared to giving themselves to what their eye sees they want, what their flesh desires. That's what they give it. Let's go on. Numbers 15, verse 38. Speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they that make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that ye may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, that ye seek not after your, your own heart and your own eyes after which ye use to go a-whoring. Now, I want there to be not just an inward reminder, but I'd like for there to be some outward reminders in your life, on your person and in your lifestyle, that would remind you that you would keep the commandments of the Lord and do them, so that you would not seek after your own heart, not seek after your own eyes, which he used to go a-whoring. So my own eyes and my own heart caused me to go into spiritual adultery. Even if I don't go into natural adultery. The Lord said that ye may remember and do all my commandments and be ye holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Remember me, he's saying. Remember Remember me, remember my word, remember what I've done for you. But when you don't remember, you let your eyes and your heart cause you to go a different direction. How sobering is that? No matter how much I actually gain or obtain of what my eyes have seen and lusted after, it will never be enough and it will never satisfy. This is, this is the... <laughs> This is the jokes on me story. 
This is the joke's on me. So I give myself to the lust, and I had pleasure with that. And then I keep doing that, and the pleasure diminishes till I go into either more depravity, deeper sin. But it never is enough. It reaches enough that it's never. It, it just it, it it doesn't satisfy. And the cruel joke is on me. Ecclesiastes says it this way, Ecclesiastes 2 and 9. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. And I will withheld not my heart from any joy, natural joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought. And on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. So when I invest myself, my time, my emotions, my focus in things that don't profit. I'm going to live that no profit one day. Talk about disillusioning. Why do you think it is that the highest... uh, Suicide rate in our country is among the rich. Because if you're poor, you can still live with the delusion that if I had more, I could be happy. But the rich, when you can buy what you want to buy, go where you want to go, do what you want to do, and you're still empty, it's hopelessness. It's hopelessness. Paul said it of Christians, but it really applies to everybody. If I have hope in this life only, I'm of all men most miserable. So if everything I've given myself to is temporal and temporary, is fleeting pleasure, the ultimate end of that is misery here and eternal punishment there. Vanity and vexation of spirit. Vanity and vexation. Literal language, that is. Vanity and vexation of spirit. Why? Because Solomon told us in the very beginning of Ecclesiastes that seeing is never enough for the eye. Ecclesiastes 1 and 8. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The eye always wants more. And what is the more the eye wants? Touching. It's not enough to see with the eye. The eye wants action. The eye wants more. It's never satisfied. The eye is never satisfied with seeing. Seeing is never enough. And so therefore, that's where we end up. In Jesus' name, God bless us and help us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Give us the wisdom and the understanding that we might understand what temptation is, how it works, that we would not willingly give ourselves to that. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I pray that the grace of God would come upon you and I right now, that we would be empowered by God to desire to please Him more than anything else in this world and that he would empower us to do those things that are pleasing him more than doing anything else in this world. In Jesus' name, I pray that on you and on myself. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.